truth. 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 Welcome to Trusting the Truth with Samuel Tolley, where we view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ. We do not view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world. Are you God's man? Are you a saved man? Weren't you called to righteousness and holiness? It's time to step up. All of God's men must step up. We've laid back for far too long We've avoided the fight, now the enemy is strong. The sidelines, they are gone. And the battle lines have been drawn. This is a battle that starts on our knees. Or on our face, if he's so pleased. God didn't call women to lead. Many called to take a stand to stand for our families, to stand for our land. Many call to illuminate the way. Darkness must flee in the light of day. Men dedicated to him and him alone. Men who garner strength from his mighty throne. Oh my brothers, it's time to stand. And when we stand, it won't be alone. This is Samuel Tolley, and welcome to another edition of Manly Monday, where godly men, hopefully we can get godly men, get together and speak on the things that we live on, why we live, what we have to do, and we can serve the Lord in our life. And today, we have a minister of the gospel and a minister of the law to join us, uh, Sheriff uh, Mike Bonham. I want to read his bio for you real quick before I bring him on. Reverend Sheriff Bonham, a native of Missouri, graduated uh, Lindbergh High School, St. Louis, Missouri in 1981 and pursued a career in private sector but desired to serve in law enforcement. In 1989, he became a member of the law enforcement family in a little town called Lead Hill, Arkansas, and later was elected constable of Crockett Township. Bonham returned to Missouri, received his degree from Global University and training from Homeland Security and holds several licenses, plus is a qualified hazardous material specialist with an emphasis in surface transportation. Bonham's first pastorate was Grace Family Worship Center in Bell, Missouri. Today, Reverend Bonham sits on the Board of Assemblies for Bible Way Association and is the Senior Chaplain for Bible Way Chaplaincy. He has designed and teaches courses for chaplains across the United States 
and many critical mission courses. In 2016, the citizens of Osage County elected Reverend Bonham, the first ordained minister ever to hold the office of sheriff of Osage County and still currently serving. He also serves on the Missouri Sheriff's Association Legislative Board, Missouri Sheriff Zone 9 Board, the Board of the Mid-Missouri Drug Task Force, the Board of Directors of Osage County Anti-Drug Community Action Team, and on the Governor Methamphetamine Drug Task Force. He is married to a lovely, to the lovely Glenda Ann, and they have four children, Amanda, Adam, uh, Keegan, and Lauren. A dynamic preacher and gracious leader, the Lord continues to use Reverend Sheriff Bonham, or Bonham, excuse me, to reach all people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me introduce you to my friend, Mike Bonham. How you doing, Mike? Good morning, sir. It's good to see you. Right. Now listen, before we get into anything, so we're going to touch the holy and profane. I always like to ask a minister of the Lord to open us up for prayer. So would you give me the gracious honor? The honor. Uh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and in times as the word of God had already proclaimed, uh, Father, may we draw from your strength. May we draw from those around us, Lord, that you've uh, given those words of wisdom and uh, given us that special time and place that we now live. Father, may you anoint this conversation. May it touch those that are that don't know you and those that know you, that they may be encouraged by, by your word and by your truth, not by anything that these two men say, but of what you ordained. And Father, we ask that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Now, folks don't know, but me and Mike are trying to get together for a long time. So we haven't been able to meet physically yet. This is the first time actually we've got a chance to just sit down and view each other and talk. But we're looking for the day the Lord is going to open that up. But Mike, tell the people about you outside of this uh, bio. Let them know about the sheriff of Osage County from Lynn, Missouri. Well, first of all, this is uh, probably one of the worst or the toughest uh, position. I've been in private sector and and uh, under those uh, rules and regulations of the the uh, private sector, uh, which I thought were pretty tough. But uh, this has probably been the most demanding job because um, I do care. And if you care, you're going to get wore out. And uh, because I care about our people, I care about those that don't know uh, the Lord. I care about those that do. Um, you know, those that would try to harm others, uh, hurt others, uh, steal from others, uh, do self-harm, you know, through drugs. I said on, as you notice, several committees. Um, I don't take a lot of time off, and that's probably not a good thing. Uh, mm. But I put a lot of time in this because I do care. And I do realize that this is perishable. This is this is a short term. I'm saving the seat here for the next sheriff, whoever that may be. I'm going to run one more time. Uh, but whoever comes behind me to be able to set the precedence and set the bar and try to set it as high as I possibly can. Um, I also uh, inadvertently, there's other people that are always watching me, not just because I'm sheriff, but because of who I claim mm -hmm. I carry with me, uh, within me. And so, you know, if there is uh, uh, an emotion that slips out, 
uh, and I realize, and I'm very cognizant of that, and to realize that, you know, when you're in a leadership position, uh, that others look to you uh, fairly, unfairly, it makes no difference, but they do. And, um, and try to do the best you can. Uh, you know, we're not perfect as, as the Lord has already well prescribed before us. Um, you know, far as uh, outside activities, um, I, I piddle around on my little hobby farm. It's probably my outside interest, uh, my, my stress reliever. Uh, other than that, uh, it's uh, pretty much here. Uh, I do a lot of work with uh, our kids. Um, I try to do that. And then across the nation to train other chaplains. Uh, I do not, I don't work in the capacity of sheriff chaplain uh, because I, I'm expected to uphold the law and there's some uh, confidentiality when you're a chaplain uh, for those that you're serving. Uh, so in my own county, I don't serve as a chaplain, but I serve as a chaplain to other sheriffs across the state of Missouri and, and the country uh, that, you know, know me and met me through various functions, uh, different boards, so on, et cetera, uh, that we uh, become friends and uh, have somebody that they're safe to uh, talk to. Um, and there's no one that's, uh, that understands the job probably uh, better than another sheriff. So, uh, but so you serve in that capacity. You know, I, that brings up the question. One of the things I was wondering about is the mental health of law enforcement. Uh, is, is, is obviously as a as a chaplain from a, from a from a Christian perspective, you can offer help through the gospel to those who are willing to or or accept and believe in the gospel. But everybody in law enforcement isn't necessarily there. And, and I wonder, generally speaking, from law enforcement, uh, you, you, when you watch it on television, you know, they decompress by going to a bar and drinking and all this other stuff. But there's a lot of folks that I'm sure they're just trying to live a, a, a normal life. And, and, and I wonder about that, you know, the mental health. How do, how do they, what does what the services do to help the mental health of people that, you know, work? in law enforcement? Well, that's a great question. Uh, right now, the state of Missouri is transforming itself uh, in that, that regards. And they have brought in outside uh, folks. We do do buggings and debriefings. Uh, I'm, you know, critical instance stress management. I'm trained in that as well uh, because there is a crossover between the gospel and mental health. Um, and, and so the state of Missouri has brought in the Warriors Foundation and they are training uh, officers on how to be able to deal with the stresses. You know, today, uh, I don't know, I've done probably, and I'm taking a guess here, over, it's over 100 death notifications through my career. And uh, it is absolutely devastating for the individual. And it's still, uh, to me today, it's not uh, run of the mill. I know I'm about to bring some bad news to a family that just saw them or just talked to them and I'm going to tell them that they're no longer here. Excuse uh, me. When you say death notifications, are we talking about lawmen or are we talking about the citizenry in general? Citizenry in general. We deal with a lot of death. I mean, because of highway accidents, uh, self-inflicted is the uh, what we deal with the majority here in Osage County. Others would deal with uh, officer-involved shootings. Uh, we haven't had to deal with that, thank you, Lord, uh, in our county. But many other counties have. Uh, through their their uh, their time in office, um, and so dealing with that is another uh, interesting, uh, very complex dynamic. Uh, that who do they talk to? Who do they feel safe talking to? 
um, you know, in ministry and, and psychology, uh, the state of Missouri uh, and most states, as I have uh, teach across the United States, I have to study on their laws. Uh, they do give um, uh, law enforcement or excuse me, um, chaplains and uh, qualified ordained ministers and uh, psychologists uh, the same rights as a attorney client privilege and confidentiality. And so that they can speak to them uh, openly uh, without fear of, uh, because we do know the legal practice and, um, you know, you have the right to remain silent, even if you're law enforcement. And so most of the times they, they self-compress um, in, you know, try to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Uh, so when we see, um, for example, uh, a suicide and we have to go do that death notification, that pain uh, that we're f going to bring to that family is very easily transferable to the officer. I do all of those uh, notifications. I don't ask our troopers to do them. And for, uh, because I'm the elected official, uh, I feel that the people have a right to have their sheriff and or coroner make that mm. notification. Uh, but you're dealing with that pain. Uh, I've, most of the time I've gone to the scene, uh, got the details of the information of what happened, whether if it's an automobile accident and or uh, self-inflicted, um, we will uh, get the details so I can give them uh, what I know at the time and be as front and honest as I possibly can. But all of that pain is transferable. Uh, you could think that you could decompartmentalize and, and that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, but, you know, a human being on human being, if you, you lost your wife, I feel a compassion uh, that I have no idea what you've gone through. But I don't want to go through that. I, I have a loving wife, as you know, and but to lose her, that would be devastating. And it's very easy to put myself into somebody else's shoes, if you will, transferable. And so that's a lot. You know, the police officers, uh, deputies, troopers, uh, federal agencies, they all deal with that kind of uh, experiences and uh, they'll stick with them. And it's very easy um, you're not probably old enough. I'm old enough to remember the movie called Choir Boys. Uh, I think it was 77, 76. I'm 70. Oh, you don't look it. <laughs> well, you might be Lord, not me. <laughs> you might be old enough to remember. Uh, but, you know, this is what uh, those officers in that movie, they were decompressing, uh, which led to bad things. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there has to be those outlets of safety uh, where they can outlet, uh, have an outlet to um let some of that go and it's um you know it's a current thing that the state of missouri is doing i know colorado's working very diligently uh, new york and many other states i'm not familiar with california uh, arizona they have a program as well uh for their officers uh that they can access uh we also have the employee uh, assistance program but many of them won't take that up uh many of the leadership including the, myself if they have gone through a critical incident mainly when it deals with death or officer involved shooting. Uh, there can be other things that it can be used for that we're going to order them to go through and talk to someone through uh, either the chaplaincy and or uh, mental health. Um, we have a great health department here in our county. Very fortunate to have them. They have someone on staff uh, that can debrief with them. Uh, it can't be me. I'd love to be the person to have the compassion and reach out. Uh, but if it's, it's like going to your boss. And uh, probably won't feel very comfortable talking to the boss, if you will. You 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 uh, made a statement uh, in there that I found kind of interesting. 
you do all the deaf notifications in your account. You don't have your people do it, but then you also indicated that you serve as a chaplain for outside states. So you're, you're dealing with the emotional things within your community and then dealing with other folks' emotional stuff, stuff away from your community. So I can see how that could wear you down. Yeah. Well, you definitely need the Lord's grace to, to do all that. I couldn't do it without him. And, that, and that's what keeps you drive uh, up. Uh, to continue to do, because um, you know, I'm not. Uh, although I'm serving the people of my county, uh, and and somewhat the citizens of Missouri, uh, I see it much bigger than that, and I see it uh, much more in depth. And I can't do it without the strength of the good Lord, um, my Lord Jesus Christ. He has been there over and over and over. And even when uh, I had my a little moment of pity. I'm just wore out. I just don't think I can do one more step. I, I think I need to quit this and that and the other. Um, it, there's always that, uh, some would say the woodshed moment the, the Lord takes you to. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I think I get, I, I get to, I get a little spanking every now and then too. <laughs> but you realize that the old man's still reaching, you know, uh, trying to come out the old person, uh, that, that God has given grace, um, uh, abundantly. Uh, and you realize that, you know, we are here for a season and for a time and you uh, have purpose and God has given us that purpose and he puts us in places. And I can't share uh, how many times, you know, as I've gotten older, um, I was probably a little bit quicker tempered when I was younger, uh, probably a little bit quicker to react emotionally. Um, and I always feel now the, the Lord gave me this and it, uh, it's probably somebody else coined it, but uh, I emotion is like a drunk driver and emotion when it gets a hold of it and you let it drive and make decisions it's just like a drunk driver uh, because you're not doing rational things you that that you would do uh, when you were sober as far as driving you wouldn't be all over the road you wouldn't be half asleep uh, and emotion is exactly like that it just takes you places you don't want to go and that brings another thought that i had in mind i i've heard um that one of the Probably most, I don't know, I want to say difficult or or calls uh, an officer has to go to is when they're going to deal with a domestic violence situation because you got uh, crazy emotions on both sides of loved ones. Yes. Is that, is that true? Oh, absolutely. And um, it, it's interesting, too, because if you put the spiritual side into this, too, uh, sometimes the uh, the spirit that is in holy spirit shows up and it attacks the spirit of god it's not not me it's the spirit and i you have to realize that and i have you know several young officers and we send them through cit which is critical incident training uh because people can go through a critical moment that they normally wouldn't do and emotion has been taken uh the best part of them and they wouldn't normally do to have understanding and have compassion uh, there is going to be a time sometimes that we have to act. It is not, uh, you know, I, I don't get up any morning and say, boy, I can't wait to go whoop up on somebody or something of that nature. That would preferably not be my uh, outcome. Uh, if we can talk it through, I've got all day. Let's just sit down and visit. Uh, it's much better. Um, you know, I, when I was a young officer uh, back in Arkansas, I had a young or an FTO, very established and, and he taught me something that was invaluable for me. Uh, I was full of energy and, and almost to the edge of rage. 
And uh, I wasn't getting people to be compliant, believe it or not, <laughs> under mm -hmm. that. And he came up and put his hand on my shoulder. And uh, this gentleman had had a warrant. And I'm told him he's going to get out of the car and we're going to go to and I'm going to take him to jail. He's under arrest. And I wasn't doing anything really wrong. Uh, but the aggressive manner of the tone that it was coming across, uh, big old sergeant, I mean, he was a big old boy, put his hand on his shoulder and gently moved out. And he says, and I won't use the gentleman's name, uh, we'll just say, Ralph, step out of the car. You know, it's Salisbury Steak and I get to jail. Oh, really? It's Salisbury Steak? Well, okay, I'm ready to go. And I'm like, what just happened? I mean, as a young officer, I'm like, that is relationship. He already knew the gentleman. Apparently, there was an incident with them involving a Salisbury steak night, you know, hungry man meal at the jail. And he talked him into going to jail where I was going to end up in a fight or a tussle. Uh, he taught me very invaluable lesson. But sometimes, you know, that personal relationship, that personal touch, being nice will get the results that you're trying to get. And, you know, I find that more and more so, especially as sheriff, I deal with the public here on a regular basis. And some people are upset of whatever the situation be, but they just want to be heard. They want to be listened to. Uh, they sometimes they want action themselves. But then on the same token, when you sit down and, and talk to them in reality, uh, they understand and they walk away satisfied. And this is the, the training of for law enforcement and where it's going uh, compared to the days when I started. Uh, where uh, things were much, much different, and the training was much different. <coughs> Excuse me. It were much different. Uh, the, the educational level was much different than it is today. Uh, mm -hmm. We have a higher bar today than we did when I first started. So. Okay. I'll answer your question. <laughs> yeah, because I, um, as you know, most of the media, when, when, when we're dealing with law enforcement or, or hearing it from a media perspective, is generally negative. I, yeah. I mean, at least when I, when I, when I hear the news, I, I rarely hear anything positive. Well, you know, the police might have arrested somebody or this or that, but very infrequently I'll hear a story about some law officer that uh, out of the goodness of his heart, some woman was trying to buy, get some groceries and she was starving. He, he just bought her some, you know, <clears throat> but, you know, it seemed like some of the, the people, they, they can't wait to get some kind of vicious accusation going on. And, and of course, the, the one that they love the most is to get a white policeman and shoots a, a, a black person. And, and whatever the circumstances, they run with that <clears throat> and they make it seem like it's the norm and it's and 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 the majority of officers want to do that and they're the evil guy and, and, and the perception i can see where it can, it can it can make the average unaware black person skeptical of the police and they can make the police skeptical of them and, it, and then i've seen situations where <clears throat> um there was so much scrutiny and with this defund the police nonsense after 2020 riots and all this other crap that then some law enforcement they don't even want to you know, they're not going to do anything they don't have to, which in fact makes those people's communities even worse. So it's like, how do you guys get your head around all that stuff? <laughs> how do you, how do people handle that? Well, I can tell you in my jurisdiction, it is much different than many others across the, the state of Missouri. Um, I'm very good friends with uh, Sheriff Betts. It's in St. Louis. And what he deals with there compared to what I deal with is night and day. Um, very supportive public of law enforcement here in mid-Missouri. 
uh, overall. And I have been to St. Louis. I grew up just outside of St. Louis, so I'm very familiar with the, the metro area and the county uh, very well. And the uh, it has changed the dynamics uh, tremendously. And what is happening and with the, and I can't speak for all officers, but in generality. So please, when I say something, I'm saying it in, in somebody else's yeah. department. It's in a generality. Uh, but most of them, they, uh, they wait till it's all over and they pick up the pieces and then they'll turn it over to detectives where in the past, uh, we know that proactive policing works. We know mm -hmm. that it, uh, we know that we can reduce crime. Um, when we see uh, departments now that are being ordered not to look at minor violations uh, at all, uh, to not even make traffic stops uh, for minor violations, it is creating a brand new dynamic uh, because if there's no repercussions whatsoever, so should I speed? Well, it's just a ticket, so and they're not going to stop me anymore for it. What's going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? It's, it's absolutely you know, there's going to be people that are hurt and injured by others uh, that realize that, hey, there's no repercussions anymore for speeding or running a stop sign or any other traffic infraction. I don't need lights. I don't need tail lights. I don't need any of that because those are all minor infractions, uh, which will encourage, uh, you know, the majority of the populace or the uh, I shouldn't say the majority, but a certain amount of, pop of the populace. Uh, to go ahead and what because there's no repercussions yeah you know and I, that just brought to mind i've seen it i don't know about your state but i know you know i, I live in arizona now i haven't mm -hmm. seen or heard as much about it here but like in california and, and some places in new york where if you steal less than a thousand dollars out of a store or something no one's gonna even stop you there's no there's really no repercussion and and, and and criminals aren't stupid. They can walk in there with their calculator or whatever. It, it, it's amazing. I, I, I don't understand the, the mentality of some of these, these DAs or, or these uh, district attorneys, attorney generals, or whoever the heck is in charge of uh, prosecuting people in some of these places. You guys ever talk about that stuff? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, every prosecuting, you know, it's an elected office as well. The people put them in. And so they are acting on what they believe the people and the constituents want. And, uh, and so I respect that because of our democratic process. Although we live in a republic, uh, there was a, an election that was held. Fair or unfair, it doesn't matter. It was held. And there was people that were placed into office. And they're supposedly uh, carrying out the will of the people. Uh, that's why we have elected office. Could you imagine... Uh, not having elected offices um, across the land that are not adhering to the values of the people. You know, sometimes I think our federal level folks, um, and they're good folks, I don't want to throw it again, a generality, uh, but there's uh, because there's good people there as well, but they're somewhat lost touch of reality. And this is nothing new. I've heard it when I was a kid uh, from my parents and my grandparents that, you know, the, you know, the federal level folks are out of touch with real people. And uh, I'm afraid that this is where we're, we're going is that we're losing the touch of reality um, under the banner of, you know, do whatever you want. And, you know, uh, it started in the, I guess, before the 60s, but uh, that freeze, you know, whatever makes you feel right, baby, you know, do what do whatever is right. You know, well, I'm part of that 60s baby boomer uh, uh, love, free love generation. And I and. 
I, I tell people all the time, I think that uh, <clears throat> my parents' generation sort of dropped the ball in mine, let the air out of it. And now, <laughs> and now we got, and the, and the folks that are running many of these things now have a mentality that's, I don't know, they're not teaching civics. If the citizenry doesn't understand their role in, in government, then the government, they can't hold government accountable. And I think in many cases, the average citizen have, has no idea. And as far as the uh, some elections, or I, I remember what Stalin said, that it doesn't matter how many votes come in. What matters is who does the counting. And, yeah. and if we have a problem with the, with the counting or the legality or the honesty of the election, then our republic is in danger. I'm not saying that everything is... Is, is not right, but I, I think that there are some problems to look at. And, I, and, and I'm, not, I'm not personally confident in our election process. I mean, from my state of Arizona, we just had this governor election where the secretary of state who was in charge of the elections, <laughs> you're in charge of the election that you're running and you become the governor and it takes them a week to count the votes. Um, I, I got issues with that, so. I'm, you know, the citizen, you know, as a citizen, if I don't have confidence in my elected officials, then it makes me wonder if my republic's going to stand. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, your First Amendment rights are under assault right now. Obviously, Second Amendment's always under assault. But uh, we, we're hearing more about the 14th Amendment, uh, which is state rights, um, and we're hearing more uh, about the fourth and fifth all the time because it relates to law enforcement um, of making sure that those rights are insured. You know, my officers, we continue to train them. Uh, and believe it or not, we use uh, some of the YouTube videos of these First Amendment auditors uh, across the United States. You know, we can learn from them. We can learn on how to do better and uh, because uh, we can see what a bad interaction looks like uh, when law enforcement does put on a bad face uh, to other in the public. Um, I would prefer not that to be the way. I'd rather have a, a common, a nice common um, uh, conversation uh, with whoever that is. And they can tell me to go fly the kite or whatever, and that's, that's all right. Um, but I would prefer to have a civil conversation uh, if be. Uh, you know, we would be uh, called, for example, someone was photographing uh, the uh, post office. I'm, I'm just pulling that out of the air. Um, you know, they were worried. Uh, the postmaster was worried because we're a small town. We might go down and visit with them. But you know what? They have every right to film in public places. And we know that. We know that. I and mean, I have, you know, and then we can decide, you know, he can decide, you know, I'm not talking to you. That's fine. Hey, have a great day. Uh, let them know that you can film out here in the public. Um, so I'll go in and visit with them real quick uh, to make sure that, first of all, there was no other laws violated. Uh the uh, they have the right to do so and if they you know uh, the public is getting trained in the process as well uh, but we want to make sure that you your rights are insured or we should i can't speak for everyone again uh, and, and it's not that one of my guys couldn't have a bad day or even myself uh, but on the same token that would be trying to guard against that mm -hmm. well let me ask you this my generally speaking what can citizens do to help law enforcement better? I mean, 
and just in whatever I don't know dynamic or whatever, whatever thing. Have you ever thought about something? What what, what can we do? I, I think first of all, it's it's communication. Uh, if the uh, local law enforcement, whether it be sheriff or town or uh, whatever, if they have an open forum meeting or um, coffee with a cop or any of that, I encourage them to step out and, and visit with them and and ask questions. Um, that's what they're there for. I mean, I had a town hall meeting here in a small town uh, in, in our county, and uh, we had 50 people there, and, and the population was like 140. I mean, so it's, when I say small, I mean small city. Mm-hmm. And But we had 50 people there, and uh, they were concerned about their community and what they could do. You know, uh, they were doing, when you start a neighborhood watch, we gave them some electronic options that will help us um, to be able to better serve them, to, you know, to afford uh, criminal activity. We taught them how to give a description, so not to get intervene uh, and make a citizen's arrest, like a good old Mayberry days, but mm-hmm. to be the best business that they could. So we gave them the tools on how it's going to help us if someone's committing a crime, that we have a good description of the vehicle, because most uh, crimes are committed, 70% of them, uh, vehicles involved. Uh, so being able to understand what that looks like and how that's going to help us to give us the intel. Law enforcement was never designed to be a standalone organization. It is always meant to have the public in its heart to be able to be uh, a servant of that and an extension of the community. You know, the, and, and, and this is what we have taken that approach uh, as some would call it community policing, uh, problem oriented policing, evidence-based policing. These are all the buzz catches, words in the management side of uh, law enforcement. But if we don't have the support of the public, we're spinning our wheels. We're, we might as well not have any law enforcement there uh, because if we don't have that support, um, I, you know, we don't solve the crimes. People solve crimes. People see things, they hear things uh, that law enforcement is not there 24-7. Although it does happen, it's just very, it's not as uh, prevalent as most people would think. It is uh, the people that help us solve crimes. That's why they testify and they come before the court uh, and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth. And that's how criminals are taken off. You know, if I can flip just a second to the other side of this on that, is how do we help those that have... uh, drug addictions, alcohol addictions, um, other addictions that could be um, even sex addictions, you know, that leads to uh, minors and and whatnot. How do we help them? And how do we get them to be productive? That's what the the whole thing about sending someone to prison was to make them more productive citizens. And we've tried so many different things through the years. You know, the chaplaincies, we have a chaplains here. Uh, We've stood up now uh, across the the state of Missouri, 13 new sheriff's offices now have chaplains and a chaplain program. Uh, but we also have the drug uh, drug programs. Uh, we have drug court. We have um, outside uh, uh, marriage encounters and also uh, for AA and, and uh, UA as well. All of those things are programs that somehow if they reach them, it's worth them. Uh, sometimes the involvement with law enforcement is the first step of getting them help because we've now taken them out of that environment where they're able to get drugs and, and do some of the sinful things uh, that we know is detrimental to themselves and to the community. The, sometimes the first step is getting them away from that, and that is incarceration. It's tough mm-hmm. love. 
something I would want. Uh, I would rather that it go another way. Uh, but we're going to always have drugs until there's no buyers of drugs. And when the market goes away, then drugs go away. Uh, but we're going to always be fighting this battle until the populace, until people, grandmas, grandmas. Uh, man, I'll tell you what, you want somebody after you, you get praying grandma after you. you yeah, you know you had somebody after you because she's going to make you right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And we need. Have... No, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, I just I think that we that we look to sometimes for law enforcement to be the solution mm -hmm. and part of the solution. Uh, it will not work without the public. Right. You know, I mean, I've had people in our community say, throw them under the jail. Don't ever let them out. Well, it's not up to me, first of all. It's up to the courts, okay? And secondly, is that really, even if that was possible, is that really serving us as a society in, in totality? And I don't think so. All right. Um, has the fentanyl crisis affected your county? Or, or I know you said you're part of this drug transfer. How is, is drugs in Osa County? So yeah, we have uh, we've absolutely have had uh, we've now had since I've been sheriff, which is very very low, very low, and I realize that we've only had two confirmed deaths of fentanyl since wow. I've been. Uh, so the methamphetamine is, you know, other marijuana, uh, which is no longer a crime in the state of Missouri. You can recreate your marijuana use. Um, so it'd be methamphetamine and alcohol is the top most abused drugs in the county. Uh, fentanyl has made it into the methamphetamine and I believe that's probably uh, what happened with the two overdoses. They didn't realize uh, that there was fentanyl in it. Uh, it's a terrible drug. Um, it's, you know, definitely changing the dynamics. Uh, I have, you know, used Narcan in the past on those that have uh, had a heroin overdose and they will come right out of it and fighting mad. I had three individuals that were uh, decided to do their vacation from 20 miles away. They decided to vacate in my county on my little river called the Marys. And three of them overdosed on fentanyl mixed with methamphetamine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I lost, that was time that motion got the best of me uh, because, you know, here I'm going to have three dead people. And we tried hit them with Narcan three times. Mm -hmm. And um, finally, they were, they, and it wasn't immediate. Usually with uh, heroin, they'll come out of it pretty quick. Uh, with one shot of the Narcan on the nostril. Um, with this, it took them three hits and they groggily came back out of it and they rushed them to the hospital to, to save their lives. But I thought they were, you know, and it was just, to me, it was a senseless waste of life uh, yeah. that I was seeing in front of me. So I, I lost my cool with them and told them that they, they shouldn't be doing this in my county. <laughs> oh, man, I can't imagine. Uh I didn't get a chance to look at the Second Amendment laws or the gun laws in, in your state. Because, um, you know, we're Arizona, where I say now, is a constitutional carry. And California, it's like they're not in the Second Amendment at all. So what about you guys? Uh, we're, we're very conservative. Uh, we were one of the first to have SAPA, uh, Second Amendment Preservation Act. It went to the court system and has gotten thrown out, but I understand it's still being appealed. Uh, you have constitutional carry. We also do uh, still have concealed carry uh, permits if you want them for leaving the state. Some don't have, uh, you know, they have reciprocity, uh, mm -hmm. but you would conceal carry. So we do still do that. Uh, pretty much that firearms is a, a norm 
I was in Essex County, uh, which is New Jersey, Newark, and I was meeting the sheriff at that time. Very, very liberal, but good guy, good super guy. Uh, and we went up there and we were talking about, uh, asked him what his number one problem was there. And he said, guns, guns, oh my gosh, guns are the worst thing ever. Uh, ban, I mean, we just have all kinds of problems with guns. And I was like, really? Because most people, most of the uh, center of the country will tell you drugs. And, mm-hmm. and that you know, drugs is uh, the reason why we have theft and so on, et cetera, here in, in the mid uh, part of the country. And I said, well, that's interesting. And I, I called the sheriff by name and uh, it's not not important, but uh, I said, that's interesting. I said, when I say everybody in Osage carries a gun, I don't mean a gun. They probably got four or five guns <laughs> that they're carrying. And up there traffic stops, they were, they got guns with them, uh, sitting in a floorboard, so on, et cetera, carrying them. And usually they're very cordial about it and let us know that they're there, which mm-hmm. I appreciate um, because it's just an officer safety thing. And mm-hmm. uh, But we don't have that issue uh, with firearms. Some of the bigger cities, absolutely, I see it. I understand it. Um, and, and it's a, a regularly bad. I had asked, uh, it was interesting. He said, where would you like to go into Newark? And I said, you know, I know it's going to be an odd request, but I'd like to go down and see the headquarters where Pagans are at, the motorcycle club. And he goes, oh, no, we ain't taking you down there. It's too dangerous. <laughs> and they don't go down there either. <laughs> and I was like, okay, then. <laughs> well, I'm, so, a, I'm, I'm a strong Second Amendment person. And since I left California, um, you know, when, when I visit California and I talk to some people and I tell them, oh, yeah, we, we, we carry, they, their eyes get big. I'm talking about the average citizenry, and they think that, you know, we're, we're trying to be the wild, wild west or something, and that's, that's not even the case. I mean, what people fail to realize is that in, in states like California, the law enforcement are armed, the criminals are armed, but the average citizen, he... <laughs> He's 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 up for whatever, and, and by the by the time if something happened and the police come, well, it's over. By the time they show up, I mean, it's not that nobody wants to. Nobody wants any normal person doesn't want to hurt anyone. That's right. But, uh, but we, you know, like I said, that Second Amendment right and actually <clears throat> is it, beyond just uh, our self preservation because they said you know the Second Amendment ensures the First Amendment. <laughs> that we can have the freedom of speech, that we can have the freedom of religion, and that we have recourse ultimately if our government goes completely crazy, because that's that's why it was put into the Constitution in the first place. Yep, that's exactly the way I read it as well. Um, our citizens here, uh, we encourage them. Um, you know, if you're responsible in anything, uh, whatever it is, I don't drink, I don't smoke, okay? Just, just put that out there for clarity. Mm-hmm. But if to drink, uh, and you're going to be responsible. You're not going anywhere. Uh, who am I? Uh, you got to make those decisions. Um, but you also have the right to life, right? And to protect yourself. And uh, we do have the Castle Doctrine, stand your ground here in Missouri uh, as well. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen that actually. Where uh, a young, uh, an 80 year old was protecting himself. The guy came to threaten a whooping, and mm-hmm. You know, 80 he, year old, 80 year. Wow. He was, he was going to whip him. He's on oxygen and a walker, and mm. I was going to come over and whip him. And uh, he said, "You better not do that." He says, "You'll end up, you know, shooting your behind." Let's put it that way. And uh, proceeded over there and and made an aggressive move toward him. And 
well, uh, he did exercise his Second Amendment right. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I find it fascinating when I see some of the, the liberal mindset and, and then unfortunately they'll tell people, well, guns are dangerous or, or, or these minority communities where they unfortunately have a lot of criminal activity and people say, no, we want to get rid of the guns. And I'm saying, you're telling people, number one, to get rid of the guns, but then you're talking about defund the police. So if you defund the police and then you get rid of citizens' guns, now who are they going to call? You know, I mean, they can't take care of themselves. And so it, it, it's all almost oxymoronic the way their thinking is. Whereas the citizens, if they can defend themselves, or then there's less, there's, the criminal is going to think about the next person they approach. Does this person or does this person not uh, have the capacity to defend themselves? And if they have to make that calculation, at least you have a better chance. Which it, it kind of goes back, you know, to the biblical perspective. Who holds you accountable spiritually? Mm -hmm. You know, the Lord holds us accountable to our actions. That's and right. how many sins get make it into heaven? Hmm. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> Would you say? How many sins are going to make it into heaven? How many of your sins? No. None, because he gives us forgiveness and grace. There's no doubt about that. But on the same token, he has set the bar very high for us and the expectations for us. doesn't mean that we won't fail. It doesn't mean that we won't have shortcuts. Uh, but it doesn't mean that either that greasy grace either. It means that we're supposed to be checked by the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be uh, learning. You know, so when you're dealing with those that are a belief, that truly are believers, mm -hmm. see, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, uh, contend to the ideology that let's go buy, you know, uh, do something to an abortion clinic. That's mm -hmm. not our, let the Spirit of God do that. And so even within Christian Servo, I question uh, their Christianity uh, if you're willing to go hurt others to get your point across. And so most of the, the people that I know and the people I run with, uh, they would rather, you know, they may stand there pri privately, quietly protesting in prayer or uh, in belief. Um, and that those things move mountains, folks. They really do. Um, versus that, you know, I'm going to go beat them over the head with a sign and I'm going to make them, you know, see my point of view. Uh, that's what the enemy does. Right. He is he compulsory makes you, uh, and he's a tough taskmaster. Where the Lord says, "I give you grace, and I give it abundantly." And so our people uh, here, you know, we there's those that are out there to take advantage of others and so on and so but they still have a soul, and I'll never forget it. They always have a soul, um, and and the Lord may be working with them. And here's the kicker is that the Lord may be using me right here and now, mm -hmm. and I could screw it up. Yeah. I could. <laughs> so which brings, the heavier burden. Which brings me to, Mike, when did, when did you come to the Lord? When, when, when did your heart open up for him? Why don't you tell us about that? So I, uh, I had um, a, a real moving of the Lord. I was going through trying to figure out what the Lord if there was even a real Lord. Okay. And I remember I was, a, I was a drinker at that point. Um, and I chewed tobacco at that point. Um, and talking I, an adult. I'm, I'm okay. talking. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. I grew up, uh, in Catholicism. And, okay. uh, so 
in Catholicism, it's very standard. And my community I live in here is predominant uh, Catholicism by far and away. Um, but I remember uh, being drunk, so drunk and passed out on the floor. And uh, I remember saying, if God is really real, then if it's Buddha, then I need to figure out if it's Buddha. If it's, you know, Muslim faith, I need to figure that out. And I'm talking about me. I'm not trying to convert the world. This is Mike Bonham that had to figure this out. And I was probably, I think I was 24 at the time. And uh, I was, uh, you know, around her. I did all the things. I was living for the devil real well. Mm -hmm. And in that point of, uh, of alcohol stupor, if you will, I felt that presence of the Lord. And he said, go seek and you shall find. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, but I felt that heavy presence. And so I started, I started that journey of self-study and didn't have to go to college. I did that later, but I, I started, if this is real, what is real? If it's Scientology, then Lord, leave me there. If, if whatever it is, because I do believe, and I think like many people uh, that do not profess any religion, which religion's different than faith, uh, but they, they believe in a higher power. They believe there's a God. I guess I was kind of where I was at. And like I said, I grew up in the Catholic faith uh, wholeheartedly, all in. Um, but I just got disenchanted with some of the things that were going on. And uh, I started my church track and ended up coming uh, full bore. My mother was still alive and became Pentecostal. Uh, so you talk about a paradigm shift. I don't think it gets much <laughs> more than that. Uh, yeah. The full gospel. Mm -hmm. And. I remember giving my life to the Lord. I was a minister in St. James, Missouri, uh, and uh, God rest his soul, he just passed. And the Brashlers used to have a, a show later on. Uh, the story is down in Branson, a Brashler uh, gospel quartet. But anyway, he had led me to the Lord uh, for the first time. I really came to the repentance. Well, there was a change. There's a, a change in transformation. And I remember giving up the alcohol and uh, and then the chewing tobacco was harder than the, the alcohol, believe it or not. Mm. And I walked away from it and I didn't need it. I didn't want it any longer. And uh, it took a lot longer uh, for the chewing tobacco. And but it's interesting. The Lord, um, he didn't ever let me go. So this is 24. Fast forward to about 32. I'm married with Glenda. Got kids. I'm working at a, a private sector job. And uh, I'm looking out the window, and it's a one-way glass. Uh, it was mirrored uh, because it was a high-security area. And I'm looking out, pausing, uh, reflecting on the day, whatever it was. And who walks right up to the door was the pastor. And I got a big chew in, and I remember running out of the office because he's fixing to come in the door, and he's going to see that I'm not who I say I am, if that makes sense. And uh, as I was running out the door, and in a quick pace, when I say run, a quick pace, um, the Lord checked me and says, what are you running from? And where, more importantly, where are you running to? Mm. Boy, that was heavy. And at that point, I decided I was going to quit chewing tobacco. And now I did use uh, Nicorette gum uh, to help me get off of the chewing tobacco, but I haven't looked back. Don't miss it at all. Mm. Um, and I thank the Lord for that. Again, that was conviction of the Holy Spirit which also leads me to the point where I'm at now is that many people, they're not going to change their lives just because of something quick that I do or some quick, quick saying or, or Bible verse uh, It's because the, the, uh, the drawing of the Holy spirit, that's what's going to do it. 
And that's what I pray for. I pray that the Spirit of God draws. Uh, I'm, we're hearing a lot of good things right down in ministry, uh, and it's not compulsory uh, in our jail by any means. So those that want to be in services, they can go to services. Uh, the chaplains uh, a couple weeks asked for a baptismal because they have a few that want to get baptized. You're talking about prisoners. Yes, absolutely. Our okay, chaplain. Okay, okay. So that to me is more, it's so exciting. It's so exciting uh, to see that, you know, God's working and uh, dealing with hearts and minds. And, uh, you know, he's getting to use uh, me, then that's great. Um, and that's why as we started off the conversation, uh, all of the boards, all the things that we're doing. Yep. Do I go home tired? Yes, sir, I do. And uh, when I get called out at two o'clock in the morning, yes, sir, I'm tired and I'm cranky. Uh, right. That's the human side. And uh, those are some of the times I question what in the world am I doing? Uh, you know, I could have a good job Monday through Friday, you know, have about five weeks of vacation now if I'd have stuck where I was at and uh, had a much better salary, so on, et cetera, and didn't have to, you know, take all of the, the darts and the arrows uh, for, you know, because somebody got pulled over and they're unhappy about it. But in that the Lord is using me and I, I, I get relevance of the time and space, if that makes sense. It makes plenty of sense. But it is it, now what you said about the chaplain, because my first thought is that the, the chaplain in the sheriff's station is there to help minister to the officers, but he's also uh, available to minister to the prisoners. That is a great thing because yeah. I mean, God may have brought them brought them into that place to sit them still long enough to, to hear him. Yep. You know, you know, get them sober up long enough just, just to hear him. I mean, I, and the fact that they were talking about they need a, a, a baptismal in a jail. Yes. It don't get no better than that. We'll get better than that. And we have all different walks live, obviously. So um, Catholicism is always welcome. Uh, mm -hmm. But we, uh, we have Baptists, we have Mennonites, uh, we have Pentecostal. Uh, we have a mainstream Protestant uh, Methodist uh, ministers and uh, people the same uh, that come in and minister uh, to the masses because they're reflective of the population. Right. Um, they do a phenomenal job. Uh, I make them go through my training course uh, prior to that uh, to understand and respect people um, because sometimes we have ministers that they mind's the only faith and I'm the only way if they don't mm. go through faith and you know, and become proselytizing. Uh, but, you know, that's not what we're called to do is not to proselytize. We're there to give encouragement and right. in one word, one word, give hope. My, my, that, that, that's, that's great. Well, I, I mean, I'm encouraged from discussing these things with you and, and, and I pray that the Lord will continue to use you, uh, not just in Osage County, but and to strengthen you throughout the land for those other um, sheriffs and, and chaplains and folks that confide in you that they can't confide locally. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they continue to give you that wisdom because that's a that's that, that's a burden that you know, but that's a good burden. You know, so we were in Arizona, uh, we were at Mojave County, Doug Schuster, the sheriff over there, shout out to Doug, um, and we helped them. Uh, they've had an established uh, chaplaincy program, uh, mm -hmm. but we came down and gave them training. And the, one of the first trainings we give is we recommend uh, three-tier ministry in a sheriff's office. There should be an administrative chaplain that he 
works with the administrators. Um, so those in the administrative office, you know, lieutenants and up, that they have mm-hmm. a safe space to talk to someone. Uh, and they also go to the Kiwanis Club for prayer breakfast and so on, et cetera. And then we have patrol chaplains, the ones that are working right with the patrol officers, right out on the street, riding with them, praying with them. Uh, they do their funerals for their moms and dads, uh, they weddings, all of it. They do all of it. And then you have your jail chaplains. And the, the reason why we suggest that they do this, they don't have to, they can do whatever they want to, uh, is that. It, it takes some of the suspicion out of the end. So if you're a jail chaplain and a road chaplain, or uh, you know, they think both sides will have suspicion against mm-hmm. one another. Going well, don't tell him anything. He'll go back and tell all the, you know, the cons, and then the cons would say, or the uh, those that are incarcerated would tell, don't tell that chaplain anything. He rides with those guys all the time, and mm-hmm. it breeds suspicion that doesn't need to be there. So uh, we we and the same thing for the leadership. Uh, you have one strictly for the leadership, uh, but also as kind of the point of contact for all the chaplains to bring. I do a, every quarter. I bring all the chaplains in. We sit down and we talk. We visit. We pray. We we talk about uh, how can we do better. What what is what work? What hasn't worked? What do you need uh, to make sure that we have anything that's going on uh, to help them in the ministry within reason. So. Yeah. Well, our time is about to run out of this thing, uh, Mike. I want you to hold on a second but I, when I close this out, but I'd like you to close this out in prayer. I'll be honored once again, my friend. Well, Lord, with everything that's going on in our communities and, and across the lands of the United States, but even across the world, Lord, we see things that are changing, uh, things that are coming to pass, and just your word is promised. Lord, may we be strong men and women uh, that we may stand against the wiles of the devil, that we may not cower down, but that we may stand up and that we may be encouragements to all. Father, may you use us into the fullest potential of what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hold on, Mike. You got it. We just had a great time with Mike. Bonham on Manly Monday. Stay with God. And remember, view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ. Do not view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world. This is Sam Tolley, and I'm out. <laughs>